We are in a series on Malachi. Take your Bibles or your phone or whatever device you use, iPad, OPad, EPad, whatever, and uh, open it up. And we started last, last week, and the title of the series is When the Lights Went Out. Uh, and so last week we went through the history and the context for the book, and we said it's a significant book because it was the last prophetic word to Israel uh, for 400 years, Right? After this book, it's silent until all the way into the New Testament and the guy we know as John the Baptist showed up. Uh, if you miss that, you can uh, download it from our website and get caught up. Uh, but this morning, let's just do a little bit of a review uh, where we left off last week and then we'll launch into this week. So last week, God came to them and says, I have loved you. And we talked about from a dad's perspective, you know, I love you, dad. Right? And uh, some of you said, man, you made me cry. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, the question is, what do you expect back? Right? When you tell somebody you love them, you expect, I love you back. Right? That's true of all our relationships that we know. And they came back with, well, how have you loved us? Thanks, but no thanks. And we said last week that this response really indicates a lack of, a severe lack, actually, of honor, or another word there we could use is respect, and also gratefulness. Really? You've loved us? How? Yeah. Right? They're coming from the side of the dialogue of wanting to critique God's love for them. You know, could we talk about this? We're not too impressed. And God instead flips the whole thing because they're saying, really, how have you done that? And God flips the paradigm and begins a dialogue of how it feels on his side of the coin. So Malachi comes from God's perspective to his people. All right? But he's saying, yeah, I know how it looks to you. Let me tell you how it looks to me. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody like that? Right? You're telling the side, and I'll say, well, you know, I can appreciate that, but let me tell you what it looks from my side. And you go, oh, hadn't thought of that. That's what this is right here. So God's going to lay his side of the argument out. And, and I want us to pay close attention to the points he makes. These are not arbitrary, random little things that God just kind of picks out of the air and says, oh, maybe that'll be a good discussion. He's pulling really specific things that I think have now time implications for us as his children today. So we'll we'll look at that. The dialogue can be seen as a series of kind of concentric circles that God starts out here and then he just ratchets it and ratchets till it gets to here, right? You're going to feel that compression factor this morning. So let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll take a look at it from God's side of the coin. All right, Father in heaven, anytime somebody does this, Lord, uh, no matter who's speaking, the, the hope is we get it right. The hope that it's an accurate reflection of why you recorded what you recorded and that it actually not just has the technical side right, but it has the spirit of it, the ethos, the heart of it right with what you were trying to communicate. And that's my prayer this morning. Uh, as we walk through this, that uh, it is an accurate reflection of what you were trying to communicate to your people and by proxy then to us. And so we give that to you this morning. Uh, you are the most honored guest. You are a welcome guest. Be among us and we ask for your favor as we walk through Malachi in your name. Amen. All right. So let's start. We'll take a look and here we go this morning. God starts out this. He says, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, then where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. 
It is you priests who show contempt for my name. Now just right there, you know it's not starting off on a good foot, right? Right off the bat, you can tell what God's hot button is. What's he say? He says this, you say I'm a father. You say I'm your father. Then why don't you treat me like a father? Where's the honor that a father deserves? You, you say I'm a master. I'm your Lord. Where's the respect a master receives? And the insinuation is, you sure don't act like grateful children. You sure don't respond like respectful servants. And who is the bullseye squarely pointed at? Well, the Levitical priests, right? They were the keepers of the temple, the keepers of the rites, the keepers of the sacraments there. And they, of all people, should have known better. So that would be, you know, talking on the pastoral side of things. They were in charge of the holy things. But there's an interesting thing here. After a while, they began to treat the holy as common. And then the common, from common, it went to contempt. Notice God used the word contempt there. Contempt means that instead of treating it as holy, they treated it almost, almost worthless or with scorn. And then they come back with a rebuttal. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering food defiled on my altar. But you ask, well, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. So he's going after a hard attitude, a hard issue here. At this point, they're feigning innocence. Oh my goodness, what? We've offended you? Well, how? You ever, you ever done that? Um, what could, my goodness, what could you possibly mean? Right? Um, uh, we've all done this, right? I remember a story when I was growing up. My parents left me in charge of babysitting and they said, hey, by the way, make sure the bedrooms are cleaned up. So I, as the dutiful older brother of eight, five at that time, and me, Diane, Mark, Paul, and Jim, the other three hadn't shown up yet. And uh, I dutifully went upstairs with the older brother and commanded that they would clean the bedroom. Of course, that goes over really well. And I had a brother named Mark. Uh, Mark, uh, at that time, was kind of a pudgy Michelin tire boy. He later grew up to be Muga and uh, a big dude. And he'd take me in the head and go, remember when you used to beat on me a little bit? <laughs> right? And, uh, but at that time, he was still the pudgy Michelin tire boy. And so I instructed him that he ought to clean up the bedroom which he defiantly looked at me and said no. So I cold-cocked him, all right? He got up. Now, some people would draw back or, ooh, big power. He got up, right? And he came at me, so I cold-cocked him again. This time he got really mad, veins popping, spit flying. He backs up, and as he's coming at me, I go, you know, he's not so pudgy anymore. He's starting to get big. This could hurt. Right? So as he came charging at me, I stepped sideways in the door. I grabbed him by the collar and a belt buckle, a back and belt, and just chucked him through the hallway. Well, our house was one of those old Wisconsin houses that had the lats and plaster walls, right, kind of thing. Thunk! Right into the wall. Right? His head stuck in there. Kind of thing, right? Being the kind, compassionate brother I was, I took him by the belt and pulled him out. His ears are all scraped up, right? He's got plaster on his face. I look what you did. I, I'm going to tell Dad you put a hole in my. I said, "Well, it was your head, right?" Typical brother thing. At that moment, we hear my dad's truck coming down the road. Not a good sign. My dad had stopped at Ardeal Davisters and had a beer or two, and so he comes rolling in the house, and we freak. So we, 
that was in front of our toy box. So we took some cardboard boxes and piled them high in front of the hole, hoping that my father would not see the cardboard boxes. While in anxiety, we tried to figure out how to patch a hole this big in the wall, right? My dad comes up. He's Mr. Jolly and Cheery. Hey, how about we barbecue something for dinner? And he goes upstairs and he misses the turn because the light's out. He misses the turn in the hallway to go to where the freezer is. And he turns and rocks into the cardboard boxes. Right? Steve, Diane, Mark, Paul, Jim, get up here. Right? We're standing there. Dad looks at me. You know anything about this hole? Nope. (laughs) Looks at my sister, Diane. She's got the big lip thing going. You know, right? You know, nothing. Looks at my brother Mark. There's still plaster on his chin and cheek. His ears are all scraped up. You know anything about this hole? Mm-mm. Looks at my brother Paul. Paul just looks at the floor, says nothing. Looks at my brother Jim, who's just barely out of diapers. Looks at brother Jim. My brother Jim goes, gee, Dad, maybe it was rats. You know? My dad desperately tried to keep a smile off his face. It was the only time I ever saw him crack up and just walk away from the whole thing. But you, you ever feign innocence like that, right? I have no idea. That's what, that's what they're doing here. What was the specific charge? The specific charge, if you look, is you have placed defiled food on my altar. Just like if you went to a restaurant. Let's just put in some context. We could go to a restaurant and you're going to eat, and here's a bunch of hair in your meal, right? Like, ugh, right? Or let's say you ordered a steak, and uh, it just turned out to be a really bad piece of meat, right? All gristle and fat, and there's really no steak there, and you're like, wow, this is awful. See, here's the thing. They were no longer being careful. They weren't paying attention anymore. They, They were no longer being attentive. And the Levites were no longer the garter of the gates, as to respect, to honor, and to holiness of the Lord. They were kind of just letting it go and whatever was, whatever was. Holiness, kind of the attitude they had was holiness? Like whatever. I mean, it's an offering. Who cares if it's a little messed up? It doesn't make any difference anyways. I mean, go ahead and offer it up. It's going to get burnt anyways. Right? That was kind of their attitude. And God's rebuttal to this thing is clinical. I mean, watch, what, watch how he comes back with this. He says this. He says, when you... Whoops, I went one too far. Hang on here. I'm missing a slide. All right, well, let me read it to you. Malachi 1.8, if you're there in your Bibles, follow me because there's a slide missing there. It says, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame and diseased animals, is that not wrong? He says, try offering to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. So now when we get into this, first of all, as New Testament believers, this might not make sense, but but this illustration wasn't lost on them. I mean, they knew. They knew what the deal was. They just stopped caring. And God is surgical. Really? Well, he says, take that to your governor. Would he be pleased? It's a rhetorical statement because the office answer is he wouldn't, and they wouldn't dare do something like that to a governor. It'd be off with your heads, right? They knew better. They knew that wouldn't fly. So if it's true of your governor, God's saying, why would, it be, why would you be so careless with me? 
He's saying, I thought you feared me. I thought you loved me. The offering, anytime, even we know, an offering is supposed to be the first and the best. Right? When you think of an offering, isn't that true? It's supposed to be the first and it's supposed to be the best. And the reason it's supposed to be the first and the best is because it's supposed to show honorness, honor and gratefulness to God. But it was also to remind us that God was holy. You know, the whole issue of the offering, the, the, this spotless lamb, of course, we know was a forerunner. It was a pre-picture of Christ, right? It was the incredible sacrifice that God gave, in, that was, God was going to give in his son. It was... It was the foreshadowing of Jesus' coming. And that's why the picture had to be held in such care because it was trying to tell them something about a future event that God was going to do through His Son to bring what they had hoped for, the Messiah. Uh, Let's just take a look in the Old Testament at the book of Leviticus just to get a picture of this. Uh, Leviticus says this. This is in Leviticus chapter 22. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, He's laying out the sacrifices. And he says, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or any of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord, it is to be accepted, for, you shall, for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, it will not be acceptable for you. God goes on to say this. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as food as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering it cannot be accepted. And then God goes on a little farther. He says this, Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, shall, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted. And again, all of this was not so much about that as it was as the picture of the foreshadowing of Jesus. Holy offerings were to be made to God because God is holy. He still is today. Also, think of it from God's point of view. He was going to offer His best. He was going to give His pure and unblemished Son. So then the question would be, shouldn't our offering reflect the same kind of heart? Holy offerings reminded the worshiper that they were to be holy also. And that there was a cost to the sacrifice. Yes, it cost them, but it was also going to cost God what He did for us. So God comes back with this and uh, he says, Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. And this is really interesting. Why? 
Because <coughs> God takes on the third person. Right? He kind of steps out, steps over here, and he says, Hey, uh, why don't you plead with God to be gracious to you? Because is he going to be happy with these kind of offerings? And obviously the answer is no. The English translation would be this, Man, dudes, you better clean up your act. That's not going to fly. God is going to be hacked at you. And you better get on your knees and plead for mercy and hope that he'll be gracious. That's really what that's saying. This was supposed to be a witness, these offerings, to the whole world so that God's name would be great. We that worship today, great, great laying that out, right? Great is thy name and be thou my vision and those things. That God's name is to be great among the nations. They were to show the world what true worship should look like so that people would flock to God. And instead they were giving the enemies of God reason to mock and scorn him. And that didn't sit very well with God. Because that offering that they were offering, whew, that's a stinker, man. And everybody knows it. Nobody's attracted to that. If you think I'm kidding or overblowing the text, look at what's said next. God comes back with this. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where the sun sets. In every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. God is fighting for his reputation. He's fighting for the greatness of his name. He's saying, you're throwing me under the bus. And nobody's attracted to it. And there's a bigger agenda than just you, Israel. See, what was behind that? Israel had no use for the Gentiles. They called them dogs. They were the chosen people. And they got entitled. And entitlement didn't look any better back then than it looks today in our generation. Man, this is just awful. Let's just shut this whole thing down. Do you realize how extreme that is for God to say that? To shut the whole thing down? Forget it. Just close the doors, shut the thing down, don't even do it. I'll do it myself. I will go, and I will go find true worshipers. My name will be great among the nations with you or without you. And then, it's hard to capture this in the right tone, but because uh, you could say it this way, well, I'm not pleased with you, right? And we're all, like, that's kind of Johnny Milktoast. But you also don't want to rail or vent because that feels like I'm, I'm capping on you. But really, I'm not capping on us. It's just God, what does he say? I am not pleased with you. Period. Exclamation point. Get it? I know what you're doing behind the scenes and I know what your heart is and I know what your attitude. Just shut the door. Stop. What, what are we missing in this? How it hurts God's heart. How, how it affects him. I will not accept the offering from your hands. Stop praying to me. Not going to do it. And so the insinuation is, um, don't even bother. And, and here's the thing. This is a big thing with God. It doesn't even stop there. He intensifies the argument even more. God is ruthlessly and relentlessly working to the core issues. So now it goes from here, so it goes to here. And you'll feel the compacting of it. He goes on to say this. But you profane, profaning, he's talking about profaning my name, 
profaning my offerings. You profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lamed, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Do you see how God's not getting off this argument? Like he is, do, do you understand? You ever been there as a parent? Do you understand, right? And if they look away, no, come back. Do you, right? You come at it. You keep coming at it. So now the argument ratchets down to the next level. In contemporary language, they were copping an attitude. All right? The whole offering thing, how they, this is so stupid. What a waste of time. Absolutely boring. I don't get anything out of it. Why should we even waste our time? Lame. What good does it do anyways? Right? They were just copping a full-blown attitude. Well, we got to bring something. And here's another key. What, what do you find behind that statement? When you, when you look at this, what you get is the attitude of what's the least that I can get away with? What's the least that I have to do? Okay, I have to do something. Um, and by the way, this wouldn't be for us who are here this morning. This message really for those who aren't here this morning, but, it, you know, those of us who are here get to hear it. Yay. Um, what's the least I can get away with? Okay, I got I to gotta go to church. I got okay, what's, uh, you know, I got a really busy life, full stuff, but I got to give God, what's the least I can, I can get away with? That's acceptable. That's kind of really where they were at. I don't want to give something that actually cost me something. So here, I'll give this. And what they brought was the scraps to God. And God looks at them with incredulity. He's looking going, are you serious? You're, you're kidding me, right? This is your idea of respect and honor? And now, that's not even the end of it. God now really takes the argument, right? We went from here to here. And it comes, now we're going here. Okay. Now he's going for the juggler. What's this whole thing really about? All right, here we go. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Three times in this chapter, God comes back with the saying, I am a great king. Go back and look it over. Three times he repeats it. I am a great king, and my name will be honored among the nations. Why does he repeat that? Because they're not treating him as a great king. They're treating him as kind of something that's everyday whatsoever, and I can take it or leave it, and God's really not that big of a deal anyways. And God goes, I am a big deal. Three times. What's keeping his name from being great? What's keeping this from happening? And really, if you look at it, and I mean, if you know anything about the Old Testament, this pattern has continued all the way through. They were sloppy in their worship. They their lack of treating God as holy. I mean, don't we have that temptation? Don't we kind of walk in here sometimes like it's the movies? Where's my popcorn and soda? Is it a good show or not? Uh, 
that wasn't so great. Maybe the movie will be better next week. Right? We kind of we do that, right? So we can identify with this. There's a lack of treating God as holy. What were they doing? Okay, here's what they're really doing. They were cheating. Okay? You want to really lay it out. You want to really put it where it is. They were cheating. How were they cheating? They were keeping for themselves what should have been God's. They had really good animals in their flock. They knew they were supposed to give the best in the first, but they looked at the best in the first and said, hey, I can profit from that. You know what? I can use that better than God can, so I'll tell you what. I've got these good ones here, but I won't miss these because nobody wants them, so I'll give those to God because they're going to be burnt offering anyways. Who's going to really care? I'll give him that which costs me nothing, and I hope he's pleased. They were keeping for themselves what should have been God. They were giving God the leftovers, right? Oh, uh, here, you can have this. I've done this. This is not a flattering story, but here it goes anyways, all right? So when I first moved to Seattle, I lived uh, not far from here, right up on the hill where Park Ridge Chapel is, a little behind the Triangle Road there, with Doug and Joanne Moisson, fabulous couple, Beautiful, beautiful people. Doug's passed. I've told you a story. He's in heaven with the Lord now. Um, but when I first moved in with them, it came to Christmas time, and, and I celebrated with their family. And so uh, they had three boys, and uh, Rick had gotten married, and so we, we did Christmases together. And I went out Christmas shopping one time, and I went to Costco, where you always go Christmas shopping if you're a bachelor. And, um, and they had these really nice coats. I mean, they... They were fleece lined on the inside and they were wind resistant and they were really sweet. And I looked at that and said, man, Doug would love that coat, right? So I bought the coat for Doug. And I had it downstairs in my basement and I tried it on a couple times. And the more I tried it on, the more I realized, man, I really like that coat, okay? And I thought, well, he doesn't know I bought it for him. He doesn't know it's his Christmas present. I think I'll just keep this coat for myself, so I went and got Doug a different present. And so when Christmas came around, we were opening packages and doing stuff, and, and, and this shows you what an idiot I am. Um, and so as we're opening presents, uh, I said, yeah, I actually got a code for you, but I liked it so much I kept it for myself. <laughs> right? Just shoot yourself in the face, yeah. Now, Doug's a great guy, right? But I remember the look in his eyes. And the look was basically this. Really? I've opened my home to you. I feed you. I give you a place to sleep. I let you drive my car. And how you honor me is by keeping my Christmas present for yourself? Ouch. That's exactly how it feels to God. God's attitude is the very same. And he says it's not a good deal. He says, you know, if you pull that trick, you're cursed. You're cursed when you do stuff like this. That's not light language. When we know what's God's, but we don't want to give it to him, and we keep it for ourselves, and we give him the leftovers or the junk, and say, hey, here's the best I can give you. I hope you're happy. Or we come with, hey, here, this is the least I can get away with. I'm still in. Okay, we're good. God said, no, when you operate like that, that's a cursed mentality. You are not going to have 
my blessing. And I want to say this morning, that should sober us. Trust me, I did not want to tell you that story this morning. Okay? God popped that story in my mind and went, that's a total wrong illustration, God. Find something else. Okay? And like I said, the people who really need this message aren't even here this morning. But it's also relevant for those of us who are. Here's the question. Does, does God get our best? Does He get our first? Or does He get the leftovers? Think about this um, in a couple ways. Is worshiping, when you think of worship, is it a delight or a drudgery? Is it a have to? Oh, I suppose we have to sing songs. God, you're great. God, you're good. Amen. Is serving Him a privilege or a drag? Why would I go do that? That would take away from my free time. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not going to do that. Do I treat Him as a great king? Or do I show contempt for Him with my lack of respect? You know, and this is, think about first, does... Do I prepare on Saturday night for Sunday morning? Or Friday and Saturday, mine, and if I stay up to two or three, God should be happy with what He gets on Sunday morning because I showed up. How about quiet times? Does God get the first in the mornings? Does God get time with me? Or does He get the leftovers at the end of the week where I come back and say, sorry, I should have spent time with you, but I was just too busy. Think about prayer. Does Do I... Tell him what a great daddy is. Do I tell him what a great king is? Do I tell him how grateful I found him? Or is prayer just a bother? What difference does it make anyway? Nothing changes, and God's really not doing anything, so why waste the time? Think in terms of that, and you get the sense of what God's trying to highlight here. And if you think in terms of our country, we're in a lot of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. So the question is, who will respond and give him first. God is still looking for those who will place him first. And if you're here this morning, the odds are really good that in whether you're actually carrying that all out or not, that's actually your heart's desire. That's why you show up. You've come to give him honor. You've come to give him glory. You've come to be reminded to put him first. So that's a good thing. God is still looking for those who will delight in him. Not just for what He's going to give them, but for who He is. Is it always, God, give me this, give me this, give me this? Or is it just, hey, you know what? You're awesome. Can I just spend some time with you? There's a huge difference there. It has to do not with what you're doing, but it has to do with why you're doing what you're doing. God is still looking for those who will respect His great name. Even if everybody else runs off to everything else the world offers, He's still looking for people to say, I, I think you're who you claim to be. I think you're telling the truth. And, and I'm, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to honor you. Here's the point. Israel didn't, and the lights went out. Where are we right now? Let's pray. Father, this is a, a punch of a message. It's a it's an internal, reflective message. It has to do with our inner state of heart, which other people can't see, but is wide open to you. It has to do with motive. It has to do with attitude. And we can tell these people didn't have a very good attitude. We can tell you really weren't happy.
And when we take that picture and put it back on us, we sometimes don't come out much better looking than them. That's worth pondering. That's worth measuring. That's worth coming back to you and saying, can I reline up with you right? Can I put you first? Can I give you my first and my best? Can I give you what's supposed to be yours and not keep it for myself? I tried to be vulnerable this morning, Lord, with a place where I was just really immature and stinking selfish. And I'm sure Doug's in heaven laughing at me right now. But when we read this text, Lord, it's no laughing matter. Help us, Lord. We want to honor you. We want to put you first. Help us to do that. Help us to make your name great among the nations. And we give that to you with hope in your name. Amen.